Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. I'm going to talk today a little bit about the Bandung Conference of 1955. Um, it's 60 years this year since the conference took place. And to my mind, this is you know one of the great overlooked um, diplomatic moments of the 20th century, and largely overlooked because it doesn't feature any of the uh, great powers or superpowers. Um, around whom normally diplomatic history is written. You know, if you're looking for a kind of a canon of diplomatic history um, in most school textbooks, you'll um, find all sorts of stuff about the the concert of Europe and then diplomacy in the run up to the First World War, interwar diplomacy with Neville Chamberlain and all that kind of thing, and then superpower diplomacy thereafter between. Um, the Soviet Union and the USA with uh, Khrushchev, Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. And this is all fine and well, but there's an entirely um, other narrative that is suppressed and ignored throughout all of this. And that's the narrative that begins um, from the late 40s onwards when uh, dozens of countries become independent in a very short space of time from the uh, empires of Britain, France, the Netherlands and other European powers. And the result of this is to create um, a, the possibility of a multipolar world. The end of the, cold, the, end of the Second World War sees the uh, development of a bipolar world between um, the USA on one side and the USSR on the other. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt had rather hoped um, throughout the war that a, a multipolar world with perhaps Britain and China emerging as um, significant players could emerge and then spheres of influence that uh, would exist globally in the way they had uh, existed um, before the First World War. And the um, existence of nuclear weapons would keep these spheres of influence uh, pretty secure because nobody would consider um, interfering in somebody else's zone. And also the idea that there are multiple um, multiple spheres of influence and multiple powers would mean that there were um, a variety of combinations of powers that could gang up on any, any one rogue actor. Uh, this was how um, Roosevelt hoped things would pan out. 
he didn't necessarily have the the Roosevelt Doctrine. It wasn't clearly written down in one um, particular idea, but it was a general set of notions that, that he had. Um, this, um, obviously, multipolar world doesn't emerge, but what does emerge um, at the uh, end of the Second World War with the decline of Britain, the decline of um, of, of France, of um, the ability of countries such as Belgium, the Netherlands and Portugal to hang on to their colonies too throughout the uh, the period from the 1940s all the way through to the 1970s. Um, you have a, a range of newly um, assertive um, nationalist third world powers who have the option really of aligning themselves to one or other camp. And the Bandung Conference was the precursor to the development of a non-aligned movement that uh, began really in earnest in 1961. Anyway, before we get to that, let's look at the conference itself. The conference wasn't so uh, much preoccupied with the um, uh, ideas about um, alignment one way or another into the communist or the uh, capitalist camps. It was a conference really to help establish a um, degree of cultural and economic cooperation throughout the third world between um, Africa and Asia and was thus referred to as the Afro-Asian Conference. Um, the interesting thing about the Bandung Conference is it is one of the moments where a collective sense of um, shared interests uh, emerges from within the third world. Notions of a, a third world, by the way, uh, don't exist at, at this point. It's not a, a term that's uh, adopted until uh, a couple of decades later. But the post-colonial world, um, from uh, the north from Africa to Asia, uh, viewed itself as having, in many ways, uh, an awful lot uh, of, of similarities. The uh, uh, leaders such as Nero in India or Nasser in Egypt uh, believed that they had a lot in common and they should uh, endeavour to help one another. Um, have a, and this went beyond purely the grounds of um, anti-colonial ideology, though that is certainly embedded within the discussions at the Bandon Conference. But it was um, a the beginnings of a a, a, a discussion of mutual assistance. Uh, there's little suggestion there from any of the members that they were willing militarily to uh, get involved in anti-colonial struggles, though some, uh, some of them do later on, independent of any sort of non-aligned movement. But there is a, um, a degree of diplomatic cooperation to, uh, between all the states um, discussed to further the ends of, uh, of anti-colonial struggle. And of course, in the 1950s, anti-colonial struggle is at its height. Uh, France had only recently um, suspended its war in Vietnam, and it was still pursuing a uh, bloody uh, war in Algeria. The 1950s and 60s also see Britain fighting to hang on to their um, African colonies, such as Kenya, and their own um, anti-communist um, measures in Malaya.
So it is important, I guess, to look at the Bandung Conference from the perspective of its delegates who are approaching the um, uh, the issues um, that are prevalent in world affairs at that moment in time from the perspective of having recently been colonised and their opinions on the uh, anti-colonial struggle in Vietnam or Algeria or wherever else um, are obviously uh, coloured by their own experiences. However, the other major um, set of uh, world processes happening at the time is obviously the, uh, the early to uh, mid-Cold War, not even mid-early Cold War. Um, and the question of um, anti-colonialism or post-colonial independence, those kinds of questions overlap uh, with the um, struggles of the, the early Cold War uh, in a quite a confusing and confused manner. Firstly, there are many nations um, in Asia, uh, Indonesia particularly, who, whilst um, in opposition to um, the colonialism or neo-colonialism of the Western world, particularly Europe, are extremely wary of China. They are worried that the tensions of the Cold War uh, between America and China post-Korea, um, which ended in 1953, um, are likely to spill over into other Asian countries. China is um, so vast and since 1949 has been so alarmingly volatile that there is um, huge concern about what Mao might do if, feeling, if he feels threatened. So there is an anxiety there. There is um, also a, uh, a sense that it wasn't just Western imperialism that needed to be challenged. The, one of the key debates at the conference was whether or not the Soviet domination of Central Asia and uh, of Eastern Europe could be viewed as imperialism. Um, some of the delegates that are perhaps more sympathetic to the Soviet Union say no, but the majority uh, say yes, and the, the motions carried that the, the, the uh, Soviet Union is every bit the imperialist aggressor that the West has been too. I managed to get hold of a little bit of the, um, uh, the minutes of the Bandung Conference uh, meeting, and they make for some interesting reading. Um, the, the first the key point is that the conference um, recognised the urgency of promoting economic development in the Asian-African region. And the fact that they're looking at it as a combined region, Asia and Africa, uh, that, you know, what um, geographers and economists refer to as the Global South, um, I think is quite telling. There was a general desire for economic cooperation among the participating countries on the basis of mutual interest and respect for national sovereignty. The proposals with regard to economic cooperation within the participating countries do not preclude either the desirability or the need for cooperation with countries outside the region, including the investment of foreign capital. So the world that there was being discussed at the um, Bandung Conference wasn't one that was going to be, you know, possibly in the future deeply insular. Um, it was perhaps something 
that was modelled on the um, develop the developments in European cooperation, the forerunners to the uh, European Economic Community, so emerging in the late nineteen forties in Europe, and they no power um, precluded the possibility of having dealings with the West, particularly when it came to inward investment in their countries. Um, as anyone who's done kind of GCSE or A level geography, I certainly did, um, many, many years ago, um, might, or perhaps even doing it now, um, might um, recall, you know, this is the period of things like the Aswan Dam in Egypt and the and, you know, developments in um, hydroelectric power in Ghana, um, that um, huge uh, capital infrastructure projects were being developed in um, uh, Africa and Asia at the time, and there was no power. Uh... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, from Indonesia onwards, that was likely to, uh, to reject these kinds of possibilities. Speaking of Indonesia, it is um, the, Indian, the Indian president Sukarno, um, who uh, really seizes um, the leadership of the non-aligned movement. And uh, he becomes, in the eyes particularly of America, uh, a real um, sort of um, uh, a real thorn in their side. The accusation consistently from uh, America is that Sukarno was going communist. This is perhaps one of the uh, um, reasons why the Americans back uh, President Suharto uh, in a subsequent coup when Sukarno was overthrown and killed, and um, uh, our then, then, you know, a, a following anti-communist purge kills um, you know a, a million mainly ethnic Chinese in uh, Indonesia. Um, this uh, uh, there was this anxiety prevalent, particularly from the United States, that non-aligned was simply a code for communist, and that economic um, in economic nationalism on the behalf of third world countries, uh, which very often meant um, you know, progressive measures such as land redistribution um, and um, state ownership 
um, was you know, could be read of as being communist. Very often it's not. However, the obsession with these things being communist um, uh, cuts um, these emerging um, nationalist uh, states in the third world off from any kind of Western patronage, um, which is arguably, you might say, what the uh, emerging countries like Vietnam and Egypt didn't want anyway. But there are many astute third world leaders that were aware that um, it was still important to, whilst being non-aligned, have cordial relationships with countries like America. But the sense, the belief that they were shifting towards communism uh, ironically pushes many of these countries further into the um, the communist bloc or to have stronger relationships and ties with the communist bloc because they are shunned by the capitalist world. It becomes a fait accompli. That's a story for a different time, I think. But any Part of the discussion of the conference was aimed at breaking the uh, dependency on Western technological know-how. Um, there is obviously in many um, former colonies a wealth of knowledge in terms of engineering, aviation, science and um, economics. And one of the pledges of the members of the Bandung Conference, the, the delegates to the Bandung Conference, was that to the maximum extent um, the Bandung nations should share expertise and um, particularly in fields such as aviation, um, and to give as much assistance to one another uh, as possible. And again, this was uh, the point of this was it was um, about um, atrophying and weakening uh, those colonial ties, because many countries um, that had been colonised by Britain and France, when the you know, British and French armies and colonial administrators went home. There were still very strong ties there, very strong um, cultural and economic and institutional ties that meant that um, the former colonisers still had an immense uh, amount of control and ability to influence and ability to set the kind of the economic game between colonies and colonisers, or former colonies and former colonisers, such that there was still an outflow of capital from the, um, the, the former colony to the former coloniser. And the uh, more there is cross-cooperation between the Bandung delegates, the less reliant the uh, participating nations will be on um, post-colonial relationships and ties. And of course, former colonial masters uh, are treated with immense suspicion, and rightly so, one might argue. Um, and the solidarity between um, the newly decolonized nations was hopefully a guarantee of their further independence. There's much talk of uh, creating and stabilizing um, commodity trade with, between Asia and Africa and creating um, a combined market for commodities um, in much the same way that coal and steel was being um, incorporated into a trading community in Europe, there was uh, an understanding that this would take a while and that um, the delegate nations would have to enter into bilateral relations with one another at the same time and that probably they would have to enter into bilateral relationships which might well be exploitative with former colonial masters. Um, however, there was an acceptance really at the, the Bandung Conference that this was really just a, a beginning 
um, and a, an expression of aspirations and, and hopes. All of a sudden, the, the Bandon Conference sends um, a real kind of, uh, rings real alarm bells in both uh, Moscow and Washington, um, neither of which are particularly keen on um, a, a non-aligned movement developing. America's got a really difficult situation in that she wishes to carry favour with a great many um, former um, colonial, um, former colonised nations, uh, partly because she wants as few of them to fall into the Soviet camp as possible, although, as previously mentioned, winds up pushing some of them in that direction. But also, going way back, way back to perhaps even... Um, the Wilsonian period of diplomacy uh, during and shortly after uh, the First World War, where a version of a new world post-war um, had emerged uh, in Wilson's eyes that would be based on um, liberal democracies with um, a re regime of uh, global free trade, um, largely republican, independent and sovereign, and all kind of following America's lead. Lots of little Americas, if you will, um, emerging. Um, this was a, a, a grand dream shared by a great many uh, American presidents, diplomats and foreign policy specialists. Um, and the idea that the um, third world now represented the possibility of that. The former colonised nations could perhaps look to America not as a um, the, the kind of ideological figurehead that the Soviet Union was to the communist world. But as an example of history done right, uh, a country looking to America as a paragon of all the right kinds of virtues of um, liberal democracy, um, free trade, um, uh, limited government, and um, rule of law and civil liberties and that sort of thing. Um, and America um, would obviously benefit from this uh, enormously in terms of um, trade, being able to capture markets for um, its products and to source raw materials cheaply. So um, America looked really to make uh, good acquaintances with the uh, former colonised countries. But also, she didn't want to offend the Europeans by um, attending conferences where European colonialism was denounced and Europe was derided as being you know, the, the force of yesterday um, and Europe's still manifold interests in the third world were uh, threatened and challenged. This is very bad diplomacy and not the sort of thing that America could be seen to be doing. The Soviets are much more at ease, uh, at liberty to do this. And America learned some bitter experience in Vietnam later on that fanning the flames of third world nationalism perhaps isn't the best thing to do um, if you are the uh, hegemonic power or one of the hegemonic powers globally. Two further conferences took place uh, in the uh, in following years. Um, 1957, a Congress of African and Asian countries took place in Cairo, and in 1961 there was a Congress at Belgrade, um, chaired by Joseph Tito of Yugoslavia, attended by Nehru of India, and Nasser of Egypt, and it was this conference where the non-aligned movement was formally founded. 
One of the tragedies of the non-aligned movement is its its brevity and its um, lack of real um, solid successes. Um, unlike other uh, pacts, other um, unions of, of the period, you know, the development of the European Union um, or the military alliances such as NATO or SEATO, um, the, the one of the, the main problems that uh, the non-aligned movement faces is that the the interests of the uh, the vast array of um, Asian, African, and Middle Eastern nations are really extremely diverse, and the solidarity that practically they can show to one another is really quite limited. Um, there is the um, uh, gradually um, these nations are one by one drawn off for the most part into rival Cold War uh, power blocks. And the Americans and Soviets are much more successful at creating these than the non-aligned world is at holding itself together. Um, The uh, number of civil wars, revolutions, coups and invasions that the non-aligned world faces um, is to such an extent that um, it becomes a profound disruption. You only need to think of countries such as uh, Indonesia or Vietnam or Afghanistan um, in order to get an an idea um, of the the scale of chaos that reigns for the most part, part, largely as a result of the Cold War and also as a result of the ethnic and social tensions unleashed by decolonization itself that creates this profoundly unstable union of nations not even union really um, association of nations Um, the uh, nations of Europe obviously don't have these problems I'm not saying that the European Union as we know it now is free of its troubles but certainly from the 1950s onwards the development of a European economic community um, doesn't have the the kind of the the, the legacy of violence really um, that many of the um, non-aligned nations have. Anyway, I hope you find this useful, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.